Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Modern Day Sniper Podcast, guys. I am one of your hosts, Kalen, and we are here today uh, back. Phil is back with us, and we have a super special guest today. Uh, Mr. Scott Satterley super is here to talk special. to us about <laughs> hand loading. He's super special. I just super special. <laughs> um, so th- we're no, I'm excited about this because you know, Scott, you bring a lot to the table when it comes to hand loading, and we've been getting a lot of questions regarding hand loading so welcome to the podcast and for those of you guys who are joining us for the first time okay the modern day sniper podcast we're, we're dedicated to discussing the most up-to-date and relevant information that surrounds the lifestyle and the journey of the modern day rifleman it doesn't matter if you're a military law enforcement a long-range shooting enthusiast a hunter or a competitor you're listening to this podcast because you're dedicated to the craft and you're a forever student, just like the three of us here that are, that are hosting you today. And so we're all on the journey of trying to become the most well-rounded rifleman that we can be. So with that being said, Scott, welcome, man. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited about this. I've been watching your, your podcast and the, just quietly lurking in the background, I guess. No. Uh, lurkers lurkers they're the dangerous <laughs> ones right so we've been getting a lot of questions scott on on our our listeners have been saying hey man we need some stuff on reloading we need some stuff on reloading and and although i mean i started this i started my journey reloading when i was 14 when i started this thing and um i bought my own press actually this rock chucker press right here is is the one it's been everybody's got you know one, right? You know, and like I started with just an RCBS reloading manual, some some thirty odd six dies, and I set out to conquer the world with some one sixty eight Sierra Match Kings, and so that was a <laughs> long time ago. And yeah, like we've it's almost like we've experienced these these waves of well, this matters, and then all of a sudden this stuff matters way up here, and now it's like, oh wait a minute, that stuff doesn't really matter. Like, what really does matter? And so I think that's that's really what's on everybody's minds. Like, yeah, where am I at? What am I supposed to be doing? Yeah, and I've got uh, you know, and that's you know, I started off you know, it's very similar situation. I think I you know, my dad bought me a hunting rifle when I was twelve, as soon as I was legal to go hunting, and he had reloading, and so I just kind of fell into reloading, you know, as a hobby. Um, and then, you know, obviously the reloading has turned into more of a, a chore. Um, you know, and because hobby, you know, we talked about it earlier, but you know, as reloading as a hobby is one thing that's where, you know, you kind of go through and you, you do all the experiments. Okay. I read up on, you know, neck turning or, you know, this or that, or the, you know, weighing and sorting my brass and how much do I bump it? And then, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a, an experimenter sometimes not, not on purpose, you know, all of a sudden I'll do something and be like, what the heck just happened? And, you know, why am I getting case head separations or something like that? And, you know, that was an experiment. Obviously I didn't know I was conducting and it went bad. So you, you go in and you kind of figure out, um, well, what am I doing? Right. What, mm-hmm. what actually matters? And that's kind of what we are talking about now. And, um, you know, I helped, uh, I don't know, it's maybe six years ago. I kind of helped, um, figure out that Swede cartridge, that modern Swede cartridge. And that's kind of what yeah. led me down the path of, of powder, 
you know, and then coming up with velocity nodes and, um, and basically, you know, you go through and you look at OCW testing and then you look at, you can do velocity nodes with the chronograph. Um, and then, uh, you know, long story longer, Mark Gordon and I were talking cause I started seeing where, um, if I jumped the bullet more, it shot better and it was more consistent and it, it, that wasn't adding up to what I knew. Right. It just wasn't. Right, right. So, um, <clears throat> But anyway, uh, the, I did an experiment last year with the barrel. So this is about, actually it was about 18 months ago. I got a barrel from Matt and I just, I put 60 extra thou freebore in it um, just to see what happened. And it shot mm -hmm. awesome. Um, I think I went to Arizona, got maybe a top 10 there. I think I was seventh or something like that. And I'm sitting on a, on a six Creedmoor with 250 thou freebore. You know, nobody's people like, I didn't even want to tell anybody what I'd done because they're like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you know what I mean? They're like, what is wrong with you? So I was like, well, I'm not going to learn anything doing this. So I put another 60 thou in it. So now I'm sitting at 300 thou free bore on a six, on a six creed more. Right. And shot the same 115 RDFs or anything. Okay. I, I started testing a bunch of the, the 108 shot, like one hole with three, I mean, jumping almost a quarter of an inch. It's just like, what the is going on? I have no idea. So, um, and then I ended up, uh, I ended up putting another 60,000 freeborn in it. So I'm now sitting in like 360,000 freeborn in the six Creedmoor. And I shot the rest of the season with that. <laughs> I mean, I don't Interesting. know. It's right. Um, well, I think it, it's one of those things, man, where, you know, we talk about like, different types of truths, you know, like there's, there's obviously there's, there's like objective truths where it's like, okay, this is a, this is a fact, whether you like it or not, like whether you agree with it or not, it's still a fact. But then there's like this stuff that you're experiencing, which a lot of people would probably put in the realm of like, okay, this is a personal truth, meaning like they, like a person, like they've seen it, there's really no hard empirical evidence other than what it is that they've witnessed and seen. Mm -hmm. And so therefore it becomes a truth of their own, just like this has become a truth of your own. You're like, Hey man, right. this thing shoots one hole with 360 thousandths of freeboard. That's right. like unheard of. And so again, well, it kind of goes in line with like the Weatherby thing. You know, there's, there's a ton of freeboard and Weatherby. The first time I loaded yeah. for a Weatherby, I freaking pushed a case out of the freaking cartridge or I pushed a bullet yeah. out of the case. It's not even close. Yeah. I mean, it's not even close to the, to being in the case still, you mm -hmm. know, and that's one of the things where I started going back and I started reading some of these older, you know, AP Ackley and, and Weatherby and some of the books and the stuff that they've produced. And then even, even if you look at, um, if you look at Berger's website, most people don't go past, you know, when they're talking about reloading a jump, they don't go past that 30,000. You know what I mean? They say, and they don't read further down into the article where it says, you know, if you're, this is how you find jump 10, 40, 80, 120, 150, you know, load up five and see where your gun likes it. That's actually in the burger reloading manual and people just blow past that and they just go, Oh, you know, 10 thou off. Oh, it shoots good. You know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's one of those things where, um, you know, you, you it, when reloading becomes a chore, you look for ways to make it easier 
Right. Yes. So all the money that I've spent lately has been on spending less time in front of my machines and reloading and more time shooting. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what I've found is that I don't, it, so I used to do velocity testing first. That was kind of my thing. And I was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to find the velocity node and I still do that, but I look for jump first. That's what I'm doing now. Um, and I, I start at 50 thou off and I keep going back away from the lands until it shoots good. Um, okay. So, so let's, let's, instead of, so instead of like jumping right into that, so like Scott, take yeah. us through, take us through like what your, what your process is. And I think this is going to be good. Even like Phil, you know, you, you've come into this in the last couple of years as a hand loader, right? So like, this is something that you're learning as well. Yeah. So when you guys talked about how everyone has a, a rock trucker, I do definitely jump straight into a forester. I was like, Hey guys, on my shooting mentors, I was like, if you could buy once, cry once, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and do that. So right. I sure. did that. Right. And, and, uh, for my reloading, it's like, I want plug and play rounds because if, as, as I don't want to finick, finicky with anything, I don't want to mess with the bullet jump. I want something that is tested and true. And I know mm -hmm. that I can, you know, um, it's going to get me by for our application of what we do. Right. right um, yeah. I'm not looking to shoot the, you know, uh, Eric Cortina group at a thousand yards that he just posted. Did you see that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah and, that's, uh, that's called positive compensation. Yeah. So we'll get into that in a second. <laughs> it's, you know, um, <laughs> it's the only way you can get a group that small. So, you know, I, I, uh, what, I know Caitlin was about to, to stop you, but my question for you, Scott is like, Hey, take us through, Hey, I've just got a brand new barrel, you know, uh, I've got brand new brass. What is your steps of developing a load for that specific barrel? Right. On, on brand new brass. Um, I still run it through a manual. So I guess, you know, a lot of guys, we should probably go through brass processes, I guess, is, you know, and I try to make this as, as, uh, economical in my time as I can. Um, and so once fired or, you know, brand new brass, I'm going to run it through an expander mandrel and get neck tension, right? That's, I think as far as, as far as anything goes out there, I think probably your number one, uh, key to, consistency isn't your powder charge it's not whether or not you're you've got a prometheus or whether or not you've got a rock chucker or a or a you know axial an axis is if you can control your neck tension you're way you're you're way ahead of just about everybody else as far as being able to control your standard deviations and run outs um and run out is just basically the wobble in your cartridge and i don't even bother with that Really, I, I've never measured it. I don't need to um, because, like you said, we're trying to create ammo that's good for our purpose, which we're trying to get the most accuracy we can, but we're also looking for, um, you know, high-volume reloading. We're not looking for, uh, you know, we're going to do case prep on nine pieces of brass and then reload as we go, you know, in a bench rest competition. It doesn't work for us. Right. We need to be able to load up 300 rounds and take it to – put it in an airplane or in the back of a vehicle and take it to, you know, to Texas or wherever we're going. And it needs to be able to shoot good enough for us to, to be competitive. So brass processes is, um, you know, like if it's once fired, I'll decap it and I use a progressive press. It's like, um, you know, I'm just, I, the amount 
of times I want to touch the brass is so low that I just want to put it in there, put it in the machine once and just keep cranking. Um, so on a progressive press on position one, I'll have a decapper on position two, I'll have a resizer and I take, and I just full length resize. I don't, I don't use a bushing and this was asked earlier as I don't use I a bushing that. because I think it builds up material faster in that area that we call the donut, right? That neck shoulder junction, because there has to be a little bit of play in that bushing um, in order to be centered up on the case. So mm -hmm. there's just automatically going to be, a, and I think you're going to get the, the, you're going to get a donut no matter what you do. I just think the bushing, you know, you might get one or two less firings out of it before you've got this giant problem you have to dig out. Um, <clears throat> so I just use a, a regular red box Hornady resizing die. I take the stem out. So, cause I've already decapped it. I don't want the, I don't want that button to pull, um, material pull through any headspace. Right, right. Exactly. I don't want to pull it out. So what I do is all my operations go straight down. So that's why I like the mandrel. And I found the mandrel was, um, you know, being the lazy, I'm, I'm pretty lazy when it comes to, I like the less I touch it, the better. Mm -hmm. I went through a phase of, um, uh, neck turning, right? I had a six SLR. I had four weight brass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. It works. I'm like, don't get me wrong. Neck turning works. I mean, if you want super low, extreme spreads and super accurate zero run out ammo neck turn obviously but you know when you when you leave one of those pieces in the grass you know it's it's kind of like god man i just i spent like five minutes on that piece of brass you know and and <laughs> times that by a thousand you know, and, and you start losing them. it's like man i'm not doing that ever again but and then what what happened was um I had bought new SLR brass. I turned it into, you know, I turned it from 308 down into six SLR and I just mandrelled it. I just, that's all I did. I didn't, I didn't neck turn it. I was running out of time. You know, I was kind of doing a Regina thing where I was loading the night before and I was like, man, I, I don't have time to neck turn all this stuff and then load it. Um, but what I found was just by mandrelling it, I got nearly the same, not the exact same, but nearly the same outcome on extreme spreads as I did by neck turning it. So I was like, okay, I'm never neck turning again. This mandrel thing is good. Let's see. Mm -hmm. That was like six years ago. So, um, but anyway, so neck tension, that's, I think a critical component of your brass prep. And I do that with brand new brass. So if I've got a, if I've got a bucket of brand new brass, I'm going to load it for a match. I'm going to put it through the mandrel, prime it. And then position three is a funnel and I weigh every charge. And then position four is um, the bullet, and then position five is the cedar, and that's and I just I just keep it as simple as I can, um, and as efficient as I can. So um, that's kind of my process right there. It's, so let me let me ask you a question on on say one time fired brass. Um, are you decapping prior to cleaning the brass? Uh, <laughs> so if my brass isn't too dirty, you know, if it, if it, if I'm out in Wyoming and you got that talcum powder stuff, mm -hmm. um, the dirt out there, I will, I'll, I'll go ahead and, um, run it through the, the tumbling media for an hour and try to get most of it off of there. But for the most part, if it's, uh, <laughs> if it's a fairly clean environment match, I just throw it in the box and I spray it with, uh, 
with that uh, case, case lube that, and then, and then, <laughs> yep. So you just throw it in a box, spray the yep. case, swirl yep. it around. Yep. Yeah, and I so, clean it. I clean it every time. I throw that bitch in for overnight. <laughs> yeah, I put it so, in the room and the thing is. But do you? But you do. You, so you don't worry about dirty primer pockets or any of that shit. You don't care about that. Nope, I don't touch a primer pocket. Never have. Uh oh, someone's losing. Someone's melting down right now. <laughs> All you guys that are losing your minds right now. Thank God. Just stop it. Just stop. Yeah. No, I like Dude. it. That's awesome because. That, that in and of itself is like an insanely time-consuming process to decap all your shit and then, yeah. you know, like, and then it's just, it. it's just, it's just not worth Maybe. it. There's so many things out there that, that, um, have such a microscopic impact on the outcome of where this bullet's going to go that, that it, it's just not worth doing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because it is time, right? And that's the commodity we can't recreate. You can buy more another Prometheus if you want to. You can buy, you know, you can have, you can pay for somebody to come and do your, your reloading for if you want to, but you can't get that time back. And that's, you know, that's where I was at with it. I was just like, I am so tired of reloading. Um, you know, you figure just in competition, I think last year I shot like 5,500 rounds in competition last year. I mean, if you're, you're talking about brass prep and that, I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's hours. Yeah. You know, it, it took me, it took me 15 times longer to make that ammo than it did to shoot it. Yep. Well, I, I tell people now it's like, you know, the, the, my, my most valuable commodity is my time. And so would I rather be spending three hours or two and a half hours in my reloading room when I could be doing, when I could be spending that, that time with my family? Yeah. I'm going to yeah. be, I want to spend that time with my family. You know, my, my son is in a formative age in his life and it's just like, nah, man, I, I want to spend my time with my family. I'd rather be shooting. Yep. It's, like, well, yep. it's time to shoot. Let's go shoot. Yep. Right. And I'm not being, I'm not being cavalier with it either. It's just over, you know, over the last, five years I've just gotten my processes down to where I'm doing the least amount of work to get the most amount of, mm -hmm. of outcome. Right? Sure. I don't know if that makes any sense, but so, 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 me, so let me, know what, I want to back everyone up here. So I, I guess just like, just like getting into long range shooting when someone gets into reloading, I think the, the person has to ask himself, okay, what is your, what is your individual outcome? It's like, are you, are you looking to shoot like, you know, the mat, the most potential out of your rifle and you try to, you know, put a group, you know, at a thousand yards to be able to hang on your refrigerator or you're looking to do what we do where it's like, Hey, if I'm getting within the kill zone of, uh, uh, of an animal or, you know, a human out to a thousand yards, I'm happy. Right. Cause I know anything outside, outside of that. that. It's like, mm -hmm. I, I know for the shooter up, I have to control that being able to uh, press a good win, uh, make a good wind call and, and press a shot. But I know even factory ammo nowadays, I mean, I can get on that on target out to a thousand yards. Right. Yeah. So at that point, it's it's like for me as a as a reloader, I'm doing it as a necessary evil to keep up with the competition. Cause I know if I don't, you know, those onesies, twosies that I drop because it's a higher low, that's bringing mm -hmm. me down a few slots, you know, on the on the uh, uh, totem pole, even away from the stadium. You know what I mean? So that's my necessary a lot. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, like so, one one or two one or two misses is the difference between third and fifteenth now. Yep. 
So, you know, that, so the, you know, for guys that are listening and just ask yourself, Hey, what, what do you want to, to get into when you get into reloading? What is your, what is your overall, you know, purpose and end state? So I think for, you know, for me, it's one of those things where we say, okay, um, I have to be able to walk away from a stage or a sh- even a shooting drill, like a training drill. I want to be able to walk away from that knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that if, if I missed that it was not a portion of my system that I could have controlled, but I chose not to. Does that make sense? Like, oh, I, I yeah, want to come away with that being like, yo, dude, that was totally me. And if I missed, it was me. It wasn't because right. I was chasing something. It wasn't because I, I had this doubt in my mind. Well, you know, is my barrel getting shot out? Or how much jump now do I have on my bullets and all this stuff? Mm-hmm. And, I don't want like that is way too much stress for my brain to handle when I'm trying to focus on becoming the best shooter that I can be. Well, that, and, and what happens is, um, you know, uh, a reloading mistake when you made five days earlier, right. Um, now you're making, you're either not making any decision at all. Right. You know, we've talked about, you know, that eighth fundamental, it's not really fundamental, but it's a concept that, you know, see where the bullet went. And then I'll make a decision to get ready to shoot again. Now, if you're making a decision off of poor input, right? So, so you know, maybe you threw a powder charge that was a grain light and, and you hit low, you know, mm-hmm. at 700 yards. You're like, well, maybe the distance isn't right. Maybe right. the scope moved. You know, you, you have no idea. There's this giant circle of – so you make a decision based off where that bullet went. And then the next one you send is high. So, and that's that, I think that's what you're getting at is that you're, you know, the, the last thing you want to be doing is making a good decision based off of bad information. Mm-hmm. Right. So you, sure. your bad information could be a lot of different things. You know, you may have thought you missed on wind, but you really didn't, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into, you know, now instead of missing one, you're missing two, potentially right. four. You see, you know, it just, it, it turns yeah. into a snowball and that's what you, you, you kind of see that on stages once in a while. Like, wow, he made a really good decision on that. But then, you know, it's like, then you're like, you know, guys will come off the stage and like the wind was really switching. It's like, that's not really what I saw. What I saw was a bullet didn't go exactly where it was supposed to. You made a decision. Then the bullet went where it was supposed to. Right. And now you're, now you're in this circle and of bad decision. You're chasing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And so, so let's talk real, like, let's talk about your, there's a couple of things that, that I think a lot of people um, try to figure out like where in the process with brass prep that they should be. And that is uh, trimming and uh, annealing and annealing. So, so like from my perspective, when I'm, I have a Gerard, I have a Gerard case trimmer, right? So, cause I want to blast through stuff. And so I won't trim until I size because I'm, I'm you, full can't, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, because, because you the trimmer is, yep, exactly. So, so then when, so talk, take us through your process of it. Let's just say I have to trim and how often do you trim? And then what about the annealing process? Right. Okay. So what I've been doing lately um, from once fired brass or not once fired, but from new brass, I'll go ahead and resize it. I won't trim it and I won't anneal it until the second, until I'm going around the second time. 
So, okay. and then what I'll do is I will resize it. Um, and, and what I found is it, 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 it is a little bit better to, um, to anneal before you size it, but it really doesn't matter. I mean, it just doesn't mm. matter. So I've, I've done it both ways. Um, I typically do um, anneal before sizing um, just to make the whole process a little bit better. So yeah, I'll kneel it, I'll resize it, and then I'll trim it. Um, and then it goes into a box, you know, and then, it, and, and I'm doing my, my brass prep is, um, 2000 pieces of brass. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, you know, Peterson six Creedmoor and I'll, I'll do it all at once. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm tired. I was, I was like really screwing it up to where all of a sudden I had once fired mixed in with five times fired and, yep. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is terrible, right? I mean, so, you know, I reorganized everything a couple of years ago, and now it's just like I got 2,000 pieces of brass, and, and I'll resize it. And, you know, when I get like 80, 80 rounds left, the, the old barrel comes off, the new barrel goes on. I find jump with the, first, with the first 80 rounds, and then I redo the whole entire batch of brass. And got it. It's, okay. It's like three days. It sucks, but it's worth doing it for me because I'm such a scatterbrain and I'm so terribly organized <laughs> that if I don't set myself up for success from the beginning, I mean, right. and you know, I don't want to have like five different boxes of, you know, once fired three times fired, you know, yep. uh, that's a pain it's in just the a ass. lot easier for me. Oh dude. It, it, and then I don't know how many times I've gone to and like, Oh, I got 300 pieces of brass left. And you know, it's like all of a sudden it's, I don't have enough for the next match right? because uh, I, I just right. loaded up 200 for the match and now I got another hundred. Now, now where I'm at is I've got to take another hundred rounds, another, you know, 200 pieces of brass and now I'm mixing it all. And right. instead of just having, you know, basically do the control all D, you know, delete reset, you know, and start a whole new, whole new barrel with a whole new batch of brass. Okay, so your progressive press, you set it up. Um, the first one, the first stage is a decap. Yep. Stage is the full length size. Yep. With Third, about two, yeah, about a thou to two thou bump. Uh, so, so when you say that though, and, you, and then you're saying, okay, we're going to full length size. Yeah. Talk, talk to people about that because we've all been told that bumping shoulders is the way to go for this. So what do you, when you say full length size, what's the difference for our listeners? Yep. So full length size, um, I'm just using a regular Hornady, you know, $35, you know, resizing die, full length resizing mm-hmm. die. And what I do with, you know, I'll measure the headspace using the tools. I think it's a 375 um, aperture for... Um, to figure out the shoulder bump on the smaller calibers. Yeah, yep. 375. Yeah, 375, okay. Um, and that hits you right in the middle of the net, right in the middle of the shoulder. And I'll measure that off of a fired piece of brass mm-hmm. um, right out of the new, the new barrel. All right? So I'll measure that, and I'm going to bump that a thou or two thou. And typically it's, you know, I, want, I don't want less than a thou, and I don't really want more than two thou. And that's about the best I can do as far as my variance goes. It's about plus or minus a foul. Um, go ahead. So, so let me jump in there. So have you ever experienced um, running? So let's just say you measure a case and it measured out with that bushing at 
uh, one in five, let's just call it one in 520. Okay. So the fire case measures is pretty far. I, I was just learning. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> so let's just say you get yeah. a, let's just say you get a case and you measure it at one 520. You throw it in the die and then you pull it out and it measures like one five twenty five. What's up? I've with seen that? that. I've seen that. What, we, what is that? Okay, we are squishing the we're squishing the case back down. We're making it longer, mm-hmm. and we haven't bumped the shoulder at all. So, and that's basically what'll happen is if and I and you'll see it grow. I've seen it grow almost ten thou. And mm-hmm. I was like, especially on longer stuff. The the Norma was notorious for it, and like seven rem mag. They're just notorious to grow when you when you resize them. Um, so what I'll do then is I'll just take I'll take and I'll loosen the the die up and I'll turn it down so that I'm I'm lowering the die and mm-hmm. I'll just keep doing that you know an eighth of a turn at a time until I see movement on the shoulder. I'll just take mm-hmm. it out and re. The issue then though is that and I'm doing it on the same piece of brass, so I have to go right. through and do Let's, it on a rod on a new piece of brass to make sure you know trust to verify you know because yeah. every once in a while you'll you'll, you'll put a new piece of brass in there and it won't move the, the, the neck again or the, the neck, the shoulder. So you have to take it down just a tiny bit more, but I'm pleased with, you know, a thousand, a two thousand, a little bit of a bump. And what that does for you and what, um, is it allows for that a little bit of space for that round to get put in your barrel. If you don't, if you, if you go through and you don't, and you just neck size and you don't bump the shoulder, eventually you're you're going to, it's going to be really hard to close the bolt. And then right, you're going to have these because you're going to, yeah, I've, I've seen people do that. They were like, Oh, oh I didn't, yeah. I didn't, bolt yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't, yeah. uh, I didn't, I didn't bump. But, and so I came down too hard on the bolt and then they're right there. Boom. You know? Yeah. It's like, okay, I'm going home yeah. or, you know, it's, it's a good thing you're at the range and you're like, <laughs> y'all are oh, savages, man. man. <laughs> can't be talking about that shit on the internet right now <laughs> yeah literally dumpster fires everywhere right now oh it's oh, terrible man. i but, dig um, it though that's um that that's good because um that uh, that those are questions that i get a lot man like what where and, and or like these phenomena like wait a minute man i just ran it through the size and die and this one piece of brass now this is the one that I chose. Like I usually measure, I usually check headspace on resize case, like every 20th, 20th case, mm-hmm. just to make sure everything's yeah. cool. And then all of a sudden I'll see something like that and I'll be like, Oh shit, is my die all jacked up? And so then you got to go through and you'll look at it all. And then, but, but it's like, it's good to know that those are just anomalies that can happen with single cases yep. in through mixed in with all your stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and then uh, and then I think, like I said, the biggest the biggest game changer for me was that that manual. The, and I use a KM tool. I got a uh, Sinclair. I've got KM. I've got all different. They all do the same thing. Um, and it, I guess it just depends on you know what you. What I like about the KM tools is that I can get a, a, a fifteen ten thou. I can get a two thou. I can get a three thou. And I've pretty much settled on three thou for uh, for the neck tension, which seems like a lot. But so when you say that now, so let's for for the guys that are listening. So when we go through the you go through the full length size, and that yep. full length die, guys, is going to take the neck back down to whatever the factory set, whatever the Sammy spec is for that cartridge, mm-hmm. right? 
But let's say, let's Actually say just, just to, to keep it, to keep it simple, under. let's say, um, the, the, the neck, when you measure the outsides, right. Let's say yeah. it comes out to, uh, just make it simple 1.0. Right. Right. So yeah. let's, ex- let's ex- talk about what the, that neck tension is. So, okay. So, yeah. So if, and, and you've got an outside diameter, you've got an inside diameter yeah. and, um, kind of like a loaded, you know, loader ground for, um, a 243 or six millimeter would be uh, 2.70 to 2.71, right? Yep. That would be kind of a loaded. And the internal diameter on that, you'd basically take uh, 30 thou off of that. So you're looking at 241, 240, something like that, because most of the wall thicknesses on our cases are 14 and a half to 15 and a half thou. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just, that's just kind of normal. Um, and that's what I'll do is, uh, and, and when you run it through that, um, full length sizer, that neck is actually going to come down pretty small. They, they, they shrink it down to, it's like 237, I think is, or uh, 237 internal and like, uh, what was it? 264 or something like that external. So it's that, that, that die really shrinks that thing down. And the way the die was designed was you've got that little button, right? You, as, as you're pulling, as you're pulling the brass out of the, uh, as you're pulling the brass out of the, uh, is that Zoe? <laughs> you know, so as you're pulling the brass out, um, you're pulling it, you're pulling the neck down through that button. That button resizes it to 240, right? But it's, and that's why I use the mandrels because it's instead of, instead of pushing the brass back down in, it's pulling it out, which right. is just, every once in a while you get, have you ever seen, gotten a flared, a flared lip? Yeah, yeah. Button? And that was like one of the things that just absolutely crushed me because it's like, what do I do with that? Do I load this? Do I crimp it? I mean, it's, it, it, it turned out to be, you know, now I have to, um, you know, now I have to uh, trim it. Right. And that was a, you know, you get back to, you know, guys using stainless steel media and sonic tumblers and stuff like, or not sonic, but you know, yeah. Sonic uh, liquid. Mm-hmm. I was just like, man, that's just, too much of a pad. I've had too many um, snap and no bang, you know, and I don't know if that's because there's still water in there or what. Could but, be, it could um, have contaminated your primer. Um, yeah, lots yeah, of things. Right? Lots of things. So, so, so this mandrel, here's my six millimeter mandrel. This is from Sinclair and this measured at 241. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, and that's, that, that gives you two thou neck tension, you know, feasibly to now because when you when you run it through there it's going to shrink back down a tiny bit right yeah that's just the elasticity of brass so uh, you run it in there you're going to get 241 measured you're probably sitting there like 240.5 which when you put the bullet down in there you're going to get two and a half deck tension mm-hmm. which is perfect uh yep. you know i think i think going too light with the neck tension was kind of a phase that that uh, bench resters and f-classers and guys that were single feeding and trying to get a slight jam into the lands sure were doing and it was super effective but we can't get away with that in our sport it's just nope. not something we can we can carry to the range with us so because what that did was by having a slight jam in the lens they're getting a little bit better primary ignition so um and what two and a half to three thou neck tension does for you gives you a little bit more primary ignition. I mean, the, the, the case is gripping onto that bullet, bullet a little bit longer. Right. 
Sure. Um, and we're getting more, we're getting more powder burnt before that thing gets stuck in the lands and grooves, mm-hmm. you know, which kind of goes to, um, we'll, we'll get into that article later. Cause we're still, we're still on, you know, just brass prep and, and doing what matters. And I think, I think one thou is too much is too little. Two thou is, is appropriate. And I, what, what I've been seeing is three thou just kind of works better for me. So Scott, are you actually getting, so like I buy my mandrels from Sinclair, right? I just buy them as like neck turning mandel, mandrels and I got them in the, I've got them in the die. So are you actually having your mandrels custom, custom turned for the, for the neck tension that you're looking at? Or are you just being like, Hey man, this is a six millimeter mandrel and I'm just going to put it in the die. You can do either one. Um, I started off with just doing uh, exactly what you have. I got the Sinclair one, and then I was I wanted to goof around with different tensions. So then I went, you know, an ex- experiment. I can't help it. Um, then I went to the K and M, and I went to uh, you know the it's point zero zero one five point zero zero two point zero zero three. I mean, you can get pretty much a custom grind out of them. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's a, it's on the pricey side, but I mean, for a mandrel, it's kind of expensive when you can get the Sinclair for like 29 bucks or something. But the, um, I think the one you have is the E and that's for, for the it's large. Carbide. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yep. it's the carbide. Mm-hmm. That way I don't have to worry about lube and max and all that stuff. <laughs> exactly. Yep. One less thing, right? Because you throw the lube in there and you just, depending on how much, you know, it, it as that lube wears off, your, your neck tension is not going to be the same. Sure. Right. I mean, it's microscopic, but it's not going to be the same. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, 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 you know, there's a lot of stuff that I do that, that I do because I'm lazy, but it's also because I've figured out over a, uh, you know, over a career of doing this, that it doesn't really matter that much. What, what is it that um, you can get away with? Like, you know what you can get away with. Exactly. What's the absolute least I can do? <laughs> so, yeah, for um, sure. It's like the opposite of, it's like the opposite of like what we did while we were in the military. Right. Sure. Yeah. yeah. How much can, how much more can we make this suck? Yeah. You know, this doesn't yeah. suck enough as is. Right. Uh, well, cool. So we, we, we're, so we're at the brass prep and so we got, we got the brass, Go ahead. Before, Phil, yeah. Sorry. Before, before we move on from brass, I think we're good on brass. I think, you know, brass. Mm-hmm. I think the question that uh, people are probably going to ask, so I'll just ask it now. Uh, let's go ahead and name your top three brass choices for everyone. Um, Lapua, oh. obviously Peterson. Yeah. I would put those two in the, in the same category. Okay. I think, I actually think my six Creedmoor Peterson brass is a little bit better than the Lapua brass, but um, Peterson doesn't quite offer as many options as the, the Lapua does. Um, then, um, after that, it's whatever I can get, you know, I mean, it's, that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. So, and you know, I mean, um, Hornady makes a ton of stuff. Um, and with a little bit of maintenance, you can make that brass really good. Yeah. The, um, you know, like for, um, six, five PRC brass. I mean, that's all we had for Creedmoor brass. That's all we had for a little while. And it works, man. My, um, I got literally like, I got like a 1500 pieces of six, five PRC that was primed from Hornady at Virgin, but it was primed and mm-hmm. man, that stuff shot lights out and it still shoots lights out. Like I haven't even gotten yep. through a whole barrel of it yet. It's just awesome. 
and it's like a, a one hole gun. So it's like, okay, well, yeah. this is that, and this is that weird thing where you're just like, okay, well, what? <laughs> it's not a waste of my time. Actually. It's, it's not, yeah. it's right. So it's just like, ah, yeah. this is no. way easier than it needs to, this is way easier than it needs to be. That's right. Then, then what we've all made it out to be. Cause yes. I think, yes. right. So, um, and I, I was talking to a guy that's, that, uh, manufacturers, you know, handload, basically handloads for people. And, um, he's doing an experiment as we speak with six Creedmoor, uh, and six, five Creedmoor Hornady brass. Um, he's not going to wait, sort it. Mm -hmm. He's going to see how it shoots. And mm -hmm. I was like, you know, I've never wait sorted. I mean, I just never have gone that level of mm -hmm. uh, weight sorting brass because there's just, um, you know, one, one tiny little bit of, I mean, brass is pretty heavy. So you've got one little thing that doesn't even affect the internal dimensions of the, of the, uh, the case. And all of a sudden now you're pitching that in or you're throwing it out or you're putting it into another bin. You might be making your problem worse than it really is. Good know, point. Because, right. Because it has, unless you go through and measure every single one of those things for internal volume, it's, it's a worthless, I mean, I don't know, I don't even call it worthless. There's guys out there that swear by it and they shoot tiny groups at, you know, amazing distances. And, but that's just not my thing. So, um, I'm not going to wait, sort 60 pieces of brass. I mean, or 600 pieces of brass or 2000 pieces of brass. I'm not doing that. You know, it doesn't make any sense. Um, but yeah, so, and that's the thing is, is like, you know, and that's, that's kind of how it goes. It goes, for me, it's Peterson, Lapua, then Hornady, because Hornady has one of everything. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I, and I do some oddball stuff with cartridges. So um, every once in a while, I need to get, you know, I need to be able to do an experiment and not spend a shit ton of money doing it. So, you know. Well, so we've got, we got brass prepped. Now, Scott, take us through, like, you have a brand new barrel. All right. You just got a, you got a new barrel. You just had a chamber cut um, or you got a brand new rifle, right. That you got from a builder and mm -hmm. you're trying to figure out the load development process. And yep. this is where I think a lot of people get super wrapped around the axle. Like we got mixes of things like OCW tests. We got mixes of people mixing in ladder tests in there. And, and before long, you know, you, you've burned up, you know, 200 rounds of your barrel trying to find what shoots out of it. And that sucks. That's right. Yeah. Or, and, yeah, and then you, and then you're back to where you started from because okay. within 200 rounds, your rifle is sped up or it's done something weird. Every barrel has got its own unique personality and some speed up, some don't. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I, when I first put a new barrel on there, what I'm going to do is I'm going to measure my uh, base to O jive to where I, where my rifling is. Um, let me use a little Hornady tool to do that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to recheck it quite a few times. And then I'm going to see if the bullet that I, des I desire to use, the base of the bearing surface is above the next shoulder junction. Does that make sense to where I'm not pushing the, I'm not pushing the bearing surface of the bullet down into the next shoulder junction. So I'm not, I'm not artificially crimping the bullet, you know, for absolutely no reason. So I just want to be, just a little bit above that next shoulder junction. So, so wait, at that so point, what, so ahead. the base, the base to bearing surface, you said, yeah, the, the bearing surface of the bullet. So the fat mm -hmm. part of the bullet yep. is got to be above the next shoulder junction. That's, that's kind of my, my, my deal with that. Um, so, and then, and then I'm trying to find jump. 
So the first thing I do is I try to find jump and, um, you know, I don't do something too, too drastically different than what's in the burger manual, but except I start at 30 thou and I go, I go all the way. So I go 30 thou, um, 40, I go 30 thou, 50 thou, 80 thou, 100 thou, 120 thou off. And I'll load up five of each one of those just to see how they group. So you're just, um, so you're just checking, you're just checking groups right now. Not even, you haven't, you haven't strapped no, on. I don't even, yeah. Okay. Nothing. I just use a, a safe load and typically that's my last load, you mm-hmm. know, for the, cause I'm using the same, I'm using the same, you know, brass in the same chamber, the same chamber reamer. Um, so typically I don't have to hunt and peck, but this is how I would do it for a brand new, like the six, five PRC that I, that I started shooting. Um, this is exactly how I did it. I just started, uh, 30 thou off, 50 thou off, 80 thou off, hundred thou, 120 thou off of the lands. Right. So way back there. Um, and I just loaded up five on a brand new barrel just to see how they shot. Um, and I'm just looking for group, not just group size, but kind of group dispersion, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, like a vertical, a vertical group, it might be super tight, but that could lead you down the road of destruction as far as, you know, uh, a deconverging, you know, the opposite of positive compensation, if you will. So what I'm looking for, like the perfect group is a triangle or a dice, you know, a dice, you know, like a five on the dice. Mm -hmm. That's like the perfect group shape. Even distribution is what you're looking for. Um, And then after that, once I figure out where the jump is, I might goof around with it a little bit. But so the example of that 6.5 PRC, I was shooting the, I was trying to find a hunting load with a 142 ABLRs. Um, I started Mm -hmm. 50 thou off and it had this nasty string. I mean, like really almost an inch vertical is with a carbon carbon gun so it's a light rifle and then i was like gotta be it's gotta be x so i what i did i took a whole rotation on my on my uh cedar die which is 50 thou deeper and within and so i just made a big bold move and it went from you know shooting an inch and an inch and a quarter inch and a half vertically to like quarter inch group just by jump, just by jumping them, I went from, I think 50 thou to hundred thou. So now I'm jumping these things hundred thou. And then from there, that's when I'll start doing the, the velocity tests. And typically I do that. Go ahead. No, that's a great man. Because you like one of the things that, that I have the most um, difficulty explaining to people is trying to find a pressure tolerant load. I'm partial to the OCW test. I've used that thing for years and it just yields really good results. Um, and then I got into, you know, you told me about your velocity testing which basically reduces the workload of the, the OCW dramatically. Like instead of shooting 30 rounds, you're shooting 10 or 12, Mm -hmm. but it's really important for you guys to understand that, you have to figure out where your bullet, where, like what jump it is. Because traditionally what with the OCW test, Dan Newberry recommended 20 thou off the lands. So now guys, if you develop a load and you find an optimal charge weight at 20 thou off the lands, and then, you know, you, you decide that you want to jump those bullets and you stuff them in there. Now you're changing your pressure curve. 
and that load might not be stable anymore because this is all about vibrations. This is all about what kind of vibrations that pressure charge impacts into the material of the barrel and the action and the resultant wave pattern, right? And so like you have to, being able to find the jump like you're talking about Scott first is, is I think the best way to do it because now I know, okay, the bullets are jumping 50 thousandths. Now I've got plenty of room in there to figure out what my charge weight's gonna be. You know what I just found out guys? Hmm. That I've been doing this shit ass backwards. <laughs> <laughs> you know so so you don't feel about bad about that because uh you know four years ago when when i did that when i did that uh that video with the six five guys i mean mm -hmm. that was that's how i was doing it you know i just like you know 30 thou off or 40 thou off or whatever and then just shot it and then but what what kind of led down the road of, of finding more jump again was to make a more stable load, you know, mm -hmm. something that would, I wouldn't have to chase the lands or chase the powder charge or something like that. Like after every match I'd come home and I'd have to do load development again. Load development. And it's like, why am I doing this? Let's yep. try to figure out a better way to do this. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of like, why do, and the, the question was why, you know, I'm not knocking any particular brand or anything, but if you take generic rifle X hunting rifle mm -hmm. and it sells for 799 bucks at Walmart or wherever. Okay. So it got sold to that. It got sold to that wholesale by a wholesaler making 20 points. So we're 500 bucks into that rifle. Now let's back it up to the manufacturer. That manufacturer's got like 105 bucks into that rifle. So that barrel's like seven bucks, mm -hmm. right? I mean, think about it from these terms. And how do these things shoot just about every single ammo out there decently? I mean, I'm not talking about quarter-inch groups. I'm talking about a hunting rifle, you know, that that is really worth, I mean, they keeping the lights on, you know, paying all the employees and everything, that rifle's worth 105 bucks at the most, sure. right? How do they shoot good? They shoot good because they got a mountain of freeboard. I mean, and they shoot tolerant. good. They're super tolerant, super low pressure. Um, but anyway, so I think what we're finding, or what I found, and what I talked to Mark, Mark Gordon, I've been actually really geeking out over this stuff for about the last two years. Um, I was kind of seeing the same thing he was seeing. And then we talked at SHOT Show two years ago, and it's just kind of like, you know, this is like, we are completely in blasphemous territory right here. Um, but what, what I think is happening is, is by finding that jump and by, by having, by allowing the bullet to jump is you're reducing, you're reducing a bunch of early peak pressure and mm -hmm. turbulence. Cause if you took flour, if you took an inert, you know, powder and put it in there and you set, you torched off a, a primer and you're only 20 thou off, the land, you're going to jam that bullet into the land so tight that it'll take, it'll take a hammer and a steel rod to get that thing free from the, from the lands and grooves, right? So right. we're engraving super hard and now we have to burn enough pressure. We have to burn enough powder to make enough pressure for that bullet to escape, for it to break that tension. Now, if we allow the bullet to slide a little bit down on freebore, we're giving more time for that powder to burn build up enough pressure to make it a lot more uh seamless going from moving to stop to moving again right you don't right, have right, to right. build up as much pressure 
to get that bullet past engraving into the lands and grooves. Um, so we reduce, I think what we're doing is reducing peak pressure that way. Um, and what I found was that the barrel lasted longer. That was the longest lasting six Creedmoor barrel I've ever had. How long did um, it shoot for? 20, 2,500 rounds. And the only reason, and the throat was still in good shape. I just couldn't keep the copper out of it. It would still shoot good for 40, 50 rounds. And then it would kind of throw flyers and stuff. And it was just, and then I'd, I'd go back and clean it and I just couldn't keep the copper out of it. Um, interestingly, that was right before the Ireland match. And um, I had another barrel and I just put 60,000 freeboard because the difference between the 188, uh, the 188 reamer and the, and having an extra 60 thou in there was, um, the 60 thou to 300 thou, or, you know, the, the 250 thou to 300 thou to 360 thou, they all shot the, that load at the same speed, which I thought, but as soon as I went back to the, to the 188 thou freebore, it really spiked the, the velocity on it. So I went ahead and just added 60 thou into that rifle before going to um ireland and so i'm jumping that ammo 120 thou and it didn't speed up i took i literally put 20 20 rounds through it before going to ireland shot a match with it in ireland and it never sped up i came back and i shot the the prs finale in the nrl championships with that same barrel and it just never sped up you know which and i ended up shooting um you know uh the six Creedmoor prime ammo, which, you know, I helped Jim, obviously I helped Jim with that as far as, you know, sourcing the bullet and letting them know, you know, get this bullet going this fast and it'll shoot for everybody and load it, you know, to this length for a Sammy spec, you know, and we're, we'll see this amount of jump. So, um, but yeah, I think, you know, to answer your question, Phil, three years ago, two years ago, I was still loading for velocity and group size instead of looking for group size and jump first and then loading for velocity. That makes total sense. I mean, the, cause the Dan Newberry OCW test, cause it's like you have to isolate the variables first. You got to figure out what variable it is that you're going to isolate before you can figure out what to manipulate next. Right. And so like this, yeah, that's, that's, that's an awesome way to do it. That's a matter of fact, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that tomorrow. I'm, I'm going to do it tomorrow. <laughs> and and you know, honestly, man, it's like, yeah, this is how we learn, you know, this is how yeah. we progress. And this is what we're, this is what we're all about, man. We're all about learning things and, and figuring out the people that are the tinkerers and saying, Hey man, so like, talk to me about that. What do you, what are you figuring out? What are you seeing? Yeah. And then, you know, <laughs> after shooting that, um, that six creed more for so for so many years is that I just know where the 115s are going to shoot good as far as velocity goes. And I just find that, that same curve. I mean, you, you, I could go back and do it all over again, but it's one of those things like, I just know the 115s are going to shoot good at 2930. They're just, mm. you know, they're going to shoot at 3000. They'll shoot at 2930 and they'll shoot at like 2850. And I don't know why they're like even 70 feet per second of parts, but, um, and I know some of the other, like the, uh, the uh, the six five PRC I I found a a node kind of on the I don't know if it's the high end or not I haven't haven't worked with it enough but it's like uh, thirty eighty or something crazy that's, on those that's mine's a thirty node. thirty fifty oh, well, on one of oh. on one forty one forty seven one forty twos oh 
Damn it. Yeah, I'm shooting. Uh, I got 147s at 3050 out of my PRC, but that's got a 26 inch tube. Yeah, mine's mine's a 26 as well. So yeah, I think that's that's fair because typically those those nodes are going to be you know 30 feet per second apart or so. You know, for I miss my PRC. Well, the other thing to remember for the, the for the, those of you guys that are listening, man, the other thing to remember is that like w- like what we're talking about with the bullet jump, that can that can contribute to a big spread in velocity too. So don't like don't use that as a baseline to say, well, you know, my my PRC shooting at thirty fifty with one forty sevens, but I'm also I'm only jumping those like thirty thousandths of an inch. Mm-hmm. So that whole system will change if I all of a sudden sent that barrel back and had the throat, you know, reamed out to another hundred thou, hundred twenty thou freebore. That oh, whole man. system is going to change. Yeah, you drop a hundred feet per second. Yeah, Just like so that. it's like yeah. same powder charge, everything, everything. The re- yep. The reason that's happening, guys, is is when the bullet is in the freebore that long, you're getting, you're losing the gas seal. Right. So there's nuts. That's what's going on. Yeah. There's a little bit of powder blow by. There's also your chamber is bigger now. Mm -hmm. Your, your burn chamber is much bigger because you know, you don't have any, you don't have anything holding that bullet back. You know, because it's not engraved in the lens yet. So there's no friction there. So you've, you've effectively by making your freeboard go, you know, another 10th of an inch further out, you've just effectively made your chamber bigger too. Mm-hmm. You're lowering the point. pressure, which is another thing that I really, really like about that is um, that initial peak pressure is a lot, going to be a lot lower and you're able to use some different powders, you know? So, um, yeah, I remember, you know, uh, it, yeah, it, like the six XC you know, that was developed with H 1000, right? You shooting one fifteens and you're like, yeah, Whoa. What, what, yeah, 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 exactly. How are we doing this? How are you yeah. getting away with that, right? Um, how are you getting that powder to burn in that, you know, in that space? Because, you know, you've got, you know, six millimeter hole and you only got a chamber this big. And, you know, everybody's thinking H1000 is for magnums and it is. But when you're looking at uh, case dimensions and, and space for that powder to burn, it looks very much the same. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So you can use a lot of wonky powders that you normally wouldn't use in, you know, what you'd think you'd use in a tiny little cartridge that you're like, that doesn't make any sense, but right. You know, um, so you get, so you got, let's just say, let's just say you got hypothetical. You got, you you got one five shot group at say 120,000 soft lands that's shooting lights out. You're like, yep, that's the jump right there. Mm -hmm. What's next. Okay. So I will test, I'm, I'm going to test the durability of that jump. Okay. And that's the thing that, um, you know, I think a lot of guys get away from, um, if they're jumping 30 thou off and 25 thou off shoots terrible and 35 thou shoots terrible, 30 thou jump is not a good place to yep. be for you because that's, you're going to have to change your load at some point in time. And the worst absolute time for you to change that load or for it to get, you know, 35 thou off is in the middle of a match. Or in the middle of the barrel life itself. Yeah, exactly. Or, yeah, I mean, that wouldn't even be a tenth of the barrel life. I mean, you're already past that 35 thou off. So what I'll do is I'll do, if, if that, you know, hypothetically we're at 120 thou off, I'm going to test all the way to 90 thou off and a 150 off. I'm going to see how, how durable and how forgiving is that, is that jump. 
Yep. Um, and if I'm getting good group dispersion and I'm not getting anything weird or weird fly or something like that, you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and run right in the middle of it, you know, 120 thou off. Mm -hmm. Um, I've seen like 80 thou, and this is one of those things that Mark's talking about is like most of my rifles shoot really good at 80 thou off. Um, but they're more of a traditional shaped bullet with kind of a third to a half bearing surface. Whereas that, that 115 RDF the has RDF got is. this monster bearing yep. surface. So I think it's just, it's just a lot more forgiving and you know, I get 120 thou off shoots good. So I just leave it there. And it actually, the, the crazy thing about it is that it shoots in that Savage as well. So I've got, you know, three or four, I've got, I'm on my fourth barrel for, for the six Creedmoor and this load just shoots lights out. And then, um, you know, you'd think, oh man, a completely different barrel contour and profile, a different barrel length, a different chamber, a different action. And there's so many different variables that's going on with that Savage rifle that I'm shooting for production. Mm -hmm. You'd think, oh man, you'd have to start over. It goes the same speed, man. Right. right. It goes twenty nine thirty. I can I can basically go back and forth between any of my rifles with this one load. It's crazy. Yeah, that's the real. That's the cool part to me is like I want to find that load that like I can shoot. I can shoot that same load. Like as an example, I got three three hundred wind mags, and. I want to try to find one load that shoots out of all three of them things. And you know what shoots well out of all three of those things? Mark 248 Mod 1 shoots lights out in all three of them. Mm -hmm. yep. And then, but then like if I take one hand load, like I have one that's, I got a 230 grain burger load worked up for one that shoots awesome in one of them, but it shoots like shit in the, in the other two. So it's like, nah, man, I don't want to deal with that. I want to have one for everything. So let's try to one figure that out. Shoots good out of them. Yeah, exactly you know um so yeah that's that's what i'll do i'll test that i'll test the durability of that jump and then you know we talk about that um you know we talk about that 10 round or 12 round ladder test that guys run and it, that's not a big enough sample right it's it's just right. not and i think i say that in my video but um but i go back and i and i test these different nodes it's not it's not like oh there's my node and i'm done that's not how that's not how load development works. So um, like with the jump, I'm going to test the durability of it. I'm going to go 10, I'm going to go, uh, you know, 10 thou to 20 thou above and 10 thou to 20 thou below. And, and I'm not just looking for group size. I'm looking for point of impact as well. So if mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I typically will aim three o'clock on whatever I'm, I'm shooting at. And if all of a sudden, you know, I've got, you know, 120,000 here. And then all of a sudden, you know, 150,000 up here. I was like, okay, that's, that's not cool. Right. right. Or if, uh, you know, I'm 120,000 here and then, uh, you know, 100,000 down here. Okay. There's something going on in there and that's not a durable spot. Right. right? Because so, so what's happening there guys, just for those of you guys who are, who are kind of maybe struggling to visualize that you're essentially going in and out of a node based upon your barrel jump or based upon your bullet jump because that's all affecting chamber pressure and that resultant chamber pressure is all affecting the vibrational wave pattern of your rifle barrel. Mm -hmm. That's it's all connected. Yep. yep. All of it. And turbulence I think has a lot to do with that too. When are you getting, when are you engraving? When is the powder, you know, when is the bulk of that powder being burnt? You know, where are we developing pressure? I mean, that, that all contributes to those different vibrations and wave patterns as well. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to test the durability of it. And if I'm getting the same point of impact, I'm good. And, and I know you guys have seen this too with, with different powder, you know, you're not just seeing different velocities, but you're, di- you're seeing the bullet kind of walk around, you know, the paper. And I think mm-hmm. uh, Gunworks has a really good slide on this that shows, you know, that, 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 you know, kind of the, the bullet arc and how it moves around. Typically mine are going left or right. You know, if you've got a gunsmith that's timing, timing everything at 12 o'clock, if there's a right. spine in the barrel, you'll see it kind of string vertically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you've got every once in a while, I've had a barrel that just kind of strung stuff out to the right, you know, and it was just like, it would, it would come out here, you know, for 50 feet per second. And then it comes straight back in, you know, so it was like this weird, it would kind of walk out and walk back in. And that's what we're talking about being in a node or out of a node or, you know, where, and that's kind of how you can find out where that bullet's going to be, or the barrel's going to be the happiest as well, is if you can see a repeat node, right? And it always comes back down to like base, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, then that, then you know that's that's where you kind of, your nodes are. Not just based off of velocity, but on where that bullet's striking as well. Right. Cool. That's, man, that's such good information. That's, it's uh, because there's just so much stuff floating around the ethers out there when it comes to all of this reloading, all these different practices, different thought processes. And, and, you know, Mm -hmm. like, it's just important for everybody, I think, to realize that, you know, this is, this is, this is an experiment. Like every new barrel that you get is an experiment. And these are some, these are some tried and true baselines that you can start with. And then, but truly like, you know, we just, we just filmed, um, the, an online training series on like, uh, rifle barrels and our circle of components. And one of the things I say in there is that like every barrel has its own set of secrets and you're unlocking those secrets and it's telling you a little bit of those secrets every time you shoot it. It just depends on your ability to interpret it and, and, and read those secrets. Yeah. Or, you know, you know, if you've got kind of a similar, a uh, similar reamer, a similar barrel, a similar contour, similar length. Um, it's a matter of trying to figure out how to be, how to load for just about all of them. You know, we were mm-hmm. talking about that before where, you know, uh, when we talk about repeatability, right? You take a, take a rifle scope off, put it back on. Do you lose your zero? Is it all over the place or is it pretty repeatable? Sure. You know, and then, you know, you just, you make tiny little tweaks here and there, I think the most I've actually bumped my my powder charge is like three tenths or something over the last over the last four or five barrels, and I think that's just because and and I kind of mark on the side of the barrel what bushing we had to use to to um, you know to index it, you know, and this mm. was just a, a tighter bushing than the other ones. Like most of the proof barrels I have are like two seventy two or something like that, as far or no. My bad, two thirty seven ish, and I think this one was just like a two thirty six eight or something like that. So I just had to back the back the uh, powder charge back um, three tenths, but then I'm still back in that same you know same velocity window. Right. So, so Scott, talk to us a little bit about what, what do you look for in terms of velocity? Are you're not? Are you loading for velocity? Or are you loading for accuracy? I'm loading for both. Optimally, I want to be because uh, you know I want a group that shoots good. I want or I want a rifle that shoots a good a good decent group. It, I don't want it big. I don't want it weird shaped. I want it kind of evenly distributed. Um, and I find that with jump, 
and then what I want, want to find is I want to find the lowest extreme spread I can get. Okay. Mostly because I'm shooting at a lot of different distances, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm looking, I don't even look at standard deviation anymore. I don't care. I, I wanted, you know, if, if I take care of the, the high on the low, the extreme spread, that standard deviation is going to be fine. Right. Um, we were talking about um, um, that one and a half inch group at a thousand yards, right? Um, with a standard deviation of 15, that's not possible, right? right? So either had, it's, not it's mathematically, it's not possible. So either had an extreme spread with those bullets of four or he had what's called positive comp compensation. And that's where the slowest bullet is released at the highest point of that barrel deflection. Got it. And so that's everything's more of a mechanical thing than anything. Exactly. And it's possible and you can do that and you can tune your loads for, a certain distance and and it will hold up for the most part on the inside after that it could it could go the other way the the issue that you can have with guys doing um doing ladder tests at 300 yards is it's it's not enough information on velocity you know if you're not if you're not watching it over uh and, and i'd hate to use a a uh a magneto speed for this because we're get we're interrupting barrel harmonics but you could get what's you could get a reverse uh, positive compensation or a negative compensation where your slowest bullet is being released at the lowest end and your fastest bullet's being released at the highest point of deflection. And now we we run into now your your uh, your group is going to spread out to the size of an E type silhouette at a thousand yards. So right. so and I've got a really low extreme spread, I can pretty much say that that cone of fire is going to be really similar all the way out to a thousand, but I do go and test it as well. So I am not going to, I'm not going to take this, you know, unproven a distance, you know, load to a match because I could be sitting in a, uh, uh, you know, a, the opposite or a, a negative compensation node. And I wouldn't even know it unless I took it out. And, you know, if all of a sudden I see this, this giant, you know, vertical spread at a thousand yards, then, you know, I got to go back to the drawing board on it. Sure. It's, it's interesting stuff, man. And you're obviously, you're doing that, that stuff on steel. You're just yeah. looking at well, a big it, tall piece of steel. Well, I, I um, I typically shoot at dirt clods and you know, there's enough rocks and kind of weird shaped dark stuff out at, out at Doug's place that, mm -hmm. you know, when I start creeping out towards, if I can't see the impact on the steel or it doesn't really make that much sense to me. Yeah. So, um, and out at Doug's place, he's got, you know, uh, he's got some pretty decent berms back there. And, um, and what I'll do is I'll just, you know, we'll go out there and once in a while I'll put a clay pigeon, you know, at, Sure. 860, 1040, 11. And then there's another one out there at, at uh, 1400 yards. And, and that's kind of where I'm, I'm seeing if there's a bunch of vertical going on. And at the same time, I'm able to kind of true up my BC because each barrel is going to have a slight difference on, on the BC outcome. Indeed. Yeah. That's, that's another, just like, like just touching on the, the true and the, the BC is like, we're, we're dipping our toe into another, another dark pond. <laughs> so, no, it's good. Oh stuff. yeah. Really. It's, yeah. It's, that's the stuff that's important that, that I think is now um, 
there's a couple of things that I think that are starting to become lost in translation, so to speak, in this world. One of which is, is the hand loading stuff. And the other yeah. is, you know, the understanding of external ballistics, because, you know, I yeah. think it's like a lot of things are getting lost in terms of, um, what to pay attention to, what not to pay attention to and what's important versus what's not important. And then the ramifications of going down the path that you don't understand why you're walking down it, right? There's ramifications to that. And, and that can, Oh yeah. can cause you yeah. to lose your mind when it comes to the results that you're getting. So, I mean, it, it, I think this all wraps and it's really what right? it comes down to. We, Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. So what I was going to say was, you know, let's look at the the types of shooters that we have in our audience, right? You've got um, essentially, uh, let's say the competitor, or uh, let's go let's go back to our our roots of of military snipers, right? Um, or uh, just guys in the military. Um, those guys are guys that can't control two things. They can't control. They can't control the ammo they use, and they can't control obviously the external ballistics, right? Uh, there's ways, obviously, with the external ballistics to ca- uh, account for, um, but those two things that they, they can't control, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, with, with training and stuff like that, they, they, we figure out ways to control those variables, but ultimately it, it, it's dependent on the shooter to essentially, you know, get the outcome that he wants to get by applying good fundamentals. Now you go yeah. into a competitive shooter, right? Still, he can't control external ballistics, can't control the win. He has stuff that he can get, you know, tools to account for it, but now he's taking steps to do what? Control his ammunition. Yep. Right. Yep. And solving a set of variables. Exactly. He's that's solving really that. what we're, that's what yep. we're coming down to. Is yep. There's, there's, you know, we got X plus Y mm-hmm. plus Z equals ABC or whatever we want to do. But yep. so we've got, but we've got these, we've got to identify those variables as well. I mean, and not just identify the variables, but okay, what's the solution? You know, say how do we solve for that? You know, and and then you know we also have these other uh, these other things out there that you know how do I solve the time issue? You know, what I mean that's that's been my big like we we talked about at the beginning of the show and and been beating it to death. But so I identify I've identified this giant problem and it's the amount of time I sit in the garage reloading ammo. Okay, mm-hmm. that's that's you know oh, this overarching deal and then what we do is we go through and and we we check off the circle of activities that we have to do for the components we have we got brass we've got primers we've got powder and we've got bullets and you know guys ask me all the time too is like hey scott what primer to use and i just i do 215 m for everything you know and and why don't you go for you know small uh small primer you know, for your, for your six creed more. And I was like, okay, there has been a proven ink. It's, it's better, but it's so small. It doesn't matter. And I've got 10,000 large primers. Why am I going to retool everything? Exactly. For, for a, a 0.0005% improvement. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Right. For sure. So, absolutely. Um, so, so there we've got that, you know, and then now powder, it's like, okay, let's, let's just find a consistent powder that I can afford and I can find. Right. Okay. So that comes in waves too, man. Like, like, Oh yeah. While, Cause then what happens is everybody catches on they'll be like, Oh yeah, that's the one right there. And then, and then before long you're like, man, I can't get my fucking powder. 
I should have just closed my trap, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. Y'all figure it out, man. Do your own shit. I don't know. I just, I use it. What powder do you use? Uh, it's black. <laughs> it's got kernels. It's it like comes little, in an eight pound little, jug. Little pieces of brown you know? rice. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, you know, so you, and there's a couple of different powders that, you know, kind of what I've found is that almost all these powders kind of do the same thing. And if you're, I haven't completed it yet, but I've been looking at some more temp sensitive ball powders type stuff. And if you, if you, I think if we find that velocity node and it's pretty wide, you're not that temp sensitive. So that's a good point. That's a really good point, man. Because ideally, like if, if you do guys, if you have not gone onto Dan Newberry's site and it's an archaic website, don't get me wrong, but the information on there, if you just read the articles, you're going to figure, you're going to pick up a lot of information about what's happening inside your rifle. When, when you press the trigger and we initiate that ignition process and that in and of itself is, is valuable because now once you, once you have the ability to kind of like visualize what's happening inside your rifle, a lot of things are going to start to connect. And so what the OCW test is to, to kind of piggyback on what Scott just said is, is like, your temperature, your powder temperature sensitivity really is not going to matter if you did your job the right way and found the optimal charge weight for your barrel. That may, I mean, does that make sense? Oh, yeah. No, that's absolute sense. In fact, I think Dan was, he's probably the pioneer of the, and the only reason why we're having this conversation right now is because of that OCW testing. And, and it's like, um, and it's absolutely, I mean, it's, it, it works. You know, and, and basically the whole velocity thing was just a, a modern way of doing exactly. And if you, if you take the, the velocity node test and, and mirror it over the top of OCW, you're going to find, you're going to come to the same spot. Yes. And, and so like when you first told me about your, your velocity testing and I started, and I was like, well, it's, it's basically, it's an abbreviated OCW test. And instead of utilizing point of impact on the target to identify your your OCW and where the node is, you're just using a flat spot in the velocity because you've already done the first part of the job with the jump testing. The jump test, exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. so that's good stuff, man. It's I really appreciate you taking some time to to talk to people about it because it's um, yeah, the, and you know the the questions. This is just the beginning. No, oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, so I'm already I'm already like chomping at the bit to. To answer some questions. Yeah. 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 I think this is a good start for the, for everyone to listening. You know, I think it, it yeah. allow guys that for that are just reloading or getting into reloading. Hey, you know what? Um, because I think with reloading, just like anything, just like getting into long range, you know, that when people just dive too much into the forums and you know, all this like rabbit holes, I mean, it gets too intimidating to jump into, you know what I mean? Just like long range shooting. It's like, you know, all these freaking, Coriolis effects, spin drift, all this other crap that's out there that people, uh, I'm not saying that they're real factors, but people essentially over-exaggerate them. It's like, you know, people are like, well, I don't want to have to, you know, think about that when I'm shooting. It's like, sure. you really don't have to, especially if you're <laughs> shooting within the, you know. Uh, yeah, if you're not you shooting shoot. too far. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so yeah. I think this is definitely a good start for those that are getting into reloading and also, you know, maybe a reaffirmation for some people of, of the reloading steps. Um, yep or guys that are just looking, you know, to maybe, uh, uh, tighten up their, uh, their, their methods of reloading. Yeah. Yeah. And, and really it just comes down to a couple of factors where, you know, and 
we've talked a lot about a lot of really advanced topics here, but it really comes down to control your neck tension, find your jump, find your velocity, and then go shoot. It's really exactly. pretty, pretty simple. I mean, we, we, we went way down the rabbit hole on it, but. Um, well, I think guys, that's, it's important to do that. So, because people want to know like how deep down the rabbit hole do these three guys go. Right. And so <laughs> what are those dudes doing? And right. so uh, that's, that's why we're, that's why we're putting this information out there to you guys is that, you know, like we, we want to spread the love and we want you to spend the time shooting um, instead of, you know, being super frustrated. And then you post your question up on the internet and then you got 15 other people that are doing the same thing you're doing, answering your questions. And it's like, it just becomes this echo chamber of, of stuff. And sometimes you just gotta, you gotta get out of the echo chamber and you gotta get some new and fresh information. That's true. And, and, you know, I've, I, I, I see it and I'm on a few reloading, um, Facebook forums and we're on the same one, you know, and it's just like, you know, it, uh, doing the same thing for 50 years and it is not 50 years worth of experience. <laughs> That's so true. That's a beautiful way to put that too. It's just not. I've know? been doing this for 50 years. Well, you could have been doing it wrong for 50 years too. Like yeah. either. Yeah. And the cool thing is like, it's, there's no right or wrong answer. Like there, well, there are wrong answers in the terms of like what's safe, what's not safe you know, Perfect. what's a good practice, what's not a good practice. But then like the end result is totally subjective to what you put into it and like how you achieve that end result. So, yep. Yep. And there's a lot of guys that take a lot of pride and you know, my brass is perfect. I have neck trimmed it. It all weighs the same. I have uniform primer pockets and I'm like, good on you, man. That's, cool. That's going to be better Sweet. ammo than mine, but how much better? You know right. I mean? That's the, and it's like, well, like Phil and I talked about it in the past. Like if you're, if your hobby is reloading, cool. Like that's awesome because like your hobby too, Scott, like you, you're a tinkerer. It's your hobby to figure out what's going on. And yeah. so you find joy in that. And then everybody that bet, everybody that wants to listen to your tinkering, we benefit from that right? Because we find better ways of doing things. We find a better mousetrap. And so like for people like me, I'm probably not going to tinker as deeply as, as you are on that. And so the, I appreciate the knowledge as well because it expands my, it expands my base. Yeah. I'm just lucky. I can, I can go out to my garage and it's like a, a 30 second walk to my, to shoot. You know, I can yeah. literally, I can do load development one bullet at a time if I wanted to. I don't have to, That's cool. you know, load up 50 and take them to the range and then, you know, sit there all day waiting for my rifle to cool off. And, right. and it's just a lot more convenient. You know? I can do it here. It's just like my, my nearest neighbor is a couple hundred yards away and, and like he gets, he doesn't mind, but he's like, eh, it kind of pisses out. It kind of freaks out the dogs and stuff. So I try not to do it as uh, very often, but if it comes down to it, it's like, Hey man, I got to go shoot. Like I, I can too. I can walk right out my door and, yep. and two minutes walk away. I can shoot. I just yep. want to be, you know, pleasant to my neighbors. Yep. I'll tell you what's been nuts out here is I think, I think you've been out here. Is it, dude, it sounds like world war three out here. Everybody's deciding to you oh, know, know go out and train. Yep. Yep. Like, well, because nobody's able to go anywhere to shoot uh, that that has an open range. So, yeah, and I think people are legitimately worried. And so, uh, one thing too, man, like if you guys are out there and you're shooting on public land, please, please, please be aware of where your bullets are going. Like, 
be aware of where your bullets are going. It's, it's very, very important. You cannot yep. be slinging lead any which way you want. Yeah. You got to worry about, you know, ricochet as well. Mm -hmm. uh, Indeed. Well, man, I think that this is a great, a great point to wrap things up. Like we, we covered a lot of ground and, and Scott, thanks so much for coming yep. on board and, and spreading some of your knowledge. It's been awesome. It's a great conversation. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah. I'd like to actually do a video to it sometime. I mean, I think that would be, that'd be a pretty good kind of capstone to this at some time. I, I did one with Steve from six, five guys, but he's been, he's been radio quiet lately. I don't know why, but anyway, let, let's talk offline about it. Cause, cause I've got a, I've got a, a videographer here for the next two months. Oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, badass. All right. Yeah. That'd be so, cool. We can have a conversation about that. Yeah. Um, I'm going right, to plug, I'm going to plug you real quick. No homo there, Scott. Cause you know, you're not, I know you're not the social media type, but uh, for those that are unfamiliar with Scott, uh, you know, Scott and I had a, a awesome turnover at Gunworks. He's actually uh, the lead instructor that I had replaced. Um, that was a fun, that was a fun couple, a few days there. <laughs> and uh, you know, it's, we've it's been like on the, the same I mean, right now. All, all three Dude, of us, it was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, all three of us are on the same uh, uh, wavelength for, you know, uh, fundamentals and what we call, uh, you know, modern marksmanship mechanics and uh, Scott Satterley, if you guys haven't followed him, I think it's SS tech LLC on Instagram. Uh, he's got a lot of great videos that kind of caveat what Kalen and I talk about it as far as interfacing with that rifle. And he's got, a, you know, again, another instructor, just being able to um, deliver that information from a different Avenue. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, check out his videos. And uh, again, um, if, you, if you, if you don't follow him, you, sh you should, cause he's got some gold nuggets as well. So again, Scott, thanks for coming on, bud. Thanks guys. Right hey, on. Uh, well, but, <laughs> I'm so I'm so I'm so <laughs> upset that the, the Gunworks match is canceled, man. I was like, I was so looking forward to that, but tough, yeah, tough decision is a good we're job. We're in some strange times, man. Tell you what, super strange. Very nervous. I think, um, uh, you know, we've been, you know, just to kind of let let some of your guys know where the NRL is at. We are really looking to try to work with our match directors to try to keep matches intact. And if we can't, we're allowing them to postpone and we're, we're actually going to take this kind of our lives and try to move the, the finale to a, a late spring, early June timeframe. Um, I think that's going to be better for the whole entire community in the long run. Um, you know, that way we can have, we can have the, the championship match anywhere in the United States. Yeah. And have reasonable chance of having decent weather. Indeed. Um, and you know, you guys are, you guys are doing such a kick-ass job over there. I mean, the, the, the NRL is, is just, it's, it's great at supporting the match directors. It's the spread of the information flow is awesome. And, and it's like, you, you're always, you're always in the know and that's awesome for, for everybody that's involved. And the stuff that yeah, we, the, you guys are doing for the community is fantastic. Yeah. Got it. And, you know, the best way to do that is to just ask your people, you know, match mm -hmm. directors, what's going on? What can we do? Indeed. Right? That's, that's really what it comes down to. And then being grown up about it, you know, just, I mean, it just sometimes it's just a bad situation and you just, you know, do the best you can with what you got. Indeed, man. Well, thanks a lot for your time, Scott, and um, we appreciate you. And and um, I'm sure that you're going to get a slew of questions, and so just be prepared for that. 
Oh yeah. The audience here, the audience here does is not shy of asking questions and we love you guys for it. So yeah, yeah. Bring it on. So bring it on. I'm usually pretty, pretty reactive. Um, Scott is living his best life right now. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm living a, I'm, I'm doing okay. Right. No, it's, man. Good for you. That's awesome. Oh yeah. That's, good for you. That's awesome. That's the way it should be. Oh yeah. That's what we should I did actually for. have to work quite a bit in Africa. I think I've worked, I, I trained for seven days there. So trained guys. So it was, uh, it helped, it helped a lot with the cost of the, the trip, you know, for it sure. wasn't as expensive as a lot of guys thought, you know, it, the I'd go back there just to go on vacation because it really doesn't cost that much. I mean, shit, that that whole entire trip, if I would have come completely out of pocket for it, would have been less than an elk hunt. Yeah, that's a good that's a good perspective. Yeah, for sure. So, you know. Right on, man. I got some All right, guys. <laughs> All right, man. Take it easy. All right, guys. All right, guys. See ya. Keep your face on the gun. <laughs>